0: Hey, this is Outside In, uh, and if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, you'll know that I haven't been in the office, which means I have not been producing stories, uh, but fortunately, producer Hannah McCarthy has been.
1: Yeah, I've been very busy.
0: So, we ready to go here? I'm ready. Okay. And go.
1: When I was in grade school in Massachusetts, there was this movie they would show us, it felt like at least once a year. The sound of birds singing, trees silhouetted against the sunrise, and then BAM! Huge piles of garbage and bulldozers roaming the hellscape of an endless landfill. And if you think that's dramatic, just wait. That is indeed a recycling song sung to the tune of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. And then you get to watch a bunch of sketches and video clips about how much garbage we produce and how we've got to reduce that waste. The show was called Recycle This! (laughs) Exclamation point. The thing was commissioned by the Dow Chemical Corporation, by the way, in 1990. And it might sound dorky. Doc, what?
2: What is all this trash around the DeLorean? Oh,
1: I don't know. But it worked. I wanted to reduce, reuse, recycle. I wanted to save the planet. Around the same time that I was sold on the moral obligation of saving the world from trash, a new way of recycling was born. A technology that would save us from the odious sorting, none of that plastic versus paper versus glass rigmarole. It was called Single Stream, one bin for all of your recycling. That single stream bin opened up a whole world of convenient environmental responsibility. Unlimited by categories, we can keep all sorts of stuff out of our trash cans, and indeed we do. But what if I told you that all of that well-meaning recycling is actually contributing to a major mess? You can see right here, this,
0: this pile is trash. This is all trash that someone has put in their recycling bin as well as you know the things on the ground here
1: in january i went to eco maine it's a recycling facility in portland maine katrina van huysen took me on a tour of the place starting with the murph that is the consistently funny acronym for materials recycling facility and here's the thing about the murph there's actually a lot of trash in there
0: but someone put this stuff in the recycling bin we've got a wood pallet We've got um, a pillow, we've got a giant thing of styrofoam, we've got a Christmas wreath. You know, these things are
1: not recyclable, and they come to us and humans pick them out by hand. This is called wishful recycling. It's when you throw trash into the bin because it feels better than throwing it into the trash. And this wishful thinking is turning the recycling industry upside down.
0: This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown.
1: And I'm Hannah McCarthy.
0: Over the years, cities and towns have found ways to make recycling virtually effortless for us. And we still get to feel good about it.
1: But the reality is, recycling doesn't work because we believe in it. It works because it's an industry. You might be keeping that plastic water bottle out of your trash bin, but the commodities market keeps it out of the landfill. That plastic bottle is cash in someone's pocket.
0: But what happens when the way we recycle no longer fits the rest of the equation? Where does our trash go when our partners aren't buying? Hannah McCarthy picks up the story
1: from EcoMaine. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, good luck. Thank you. MRFs are amazing. Little puffs of air controlled by computers eject different plastics off of conveyor belts and into the appropriate bins. Then giant spinning rubber cogs bounce paper from glass and plastic. It's like a kid's idea of a candy factory, but for waste. All of this machinery does a pretty decent job. By the end of the day, it churns out a bale weighing one or two tons. That's mostly one kind of material, but mostly doesn't cut it. That moment when you pause with some plastic wrap or an old Barbie or maybe a battery full of toxic chemicals and you throw it in the recycling, that trash is called contamination.
0: Contamination overall uh, is that piece of styrofoam right there, that tiny piece of, of fabric right there, uh, the saran wrap or the piece of paper there. That's really the contamination we're talking about.
1: Contamination is the red sock in the washer full of white shirts. It's the plastic grocery bag and a bale of cardboard. It means that a bale has to be sorted through before the material can be washed and melted down or shredded into pulp. And the way that most of us recycle, single stream, commingled bin style, it leads to plenty of contamination. And the thing is, for a long time, contamination wasn't that big a deal for American MRFs. Because the people who buy those bales of material and turn them into new stuff, they've been okay with the contamination rate coming out of most facilities. And our single biggest buyer in particular was willing to clean up our mess. Was being the operative word here. Because they're not playing ball anymore.
3: Um, It's been bad for a couple of months. It's getting worse. (laughs) Once it gets really bad, people are going to start screaming when their budgets are upside down.
1: Meet Tony Belanger. He works for Pinard Waste Systems in New Hampshire. Last fall, I called Tony up wanting to talk about leaf collection. He wanted to talk about something a little bigger.
3: This is a dirty little secret, so to speak. I mean, um, it's out there, and people in our industry are well aware of it. Um, But until it hits home with somebody like a municipality or, or a big corporation or something like that, someone who's got some lungs, It just doesn't get out to the general public.
1: The dirty little secret is the state of the recycling industry, more specifically, the state of the market. Something has happened to make recycling, well, not really worth it. The bedrock of recycling economics for decades has been that for towns and cities, recycling is cheaper than throwing things into a landfill. So sure, it made environmentalists happy, but it made the taxpayers happy, too. Tony says recently that's flipped.
3: If he gets stuck with this material um, and it's going to cost him $90, $100 plus trucking to get rid of it, um, and yet he can still get rid of his trash at $65, $70 a ton and dump it locally, that's what he's going to do.
1: That means that your bottles and cans and cardboard that you've thoughtfully tossed in the recycling bin are not guaranteed to avoid the landfill, which is insane, Right. I mean, how could all of this be going on without our knowing?
3: I'll be honest with you, not a lot of people care to know the inner workings of the waste industry.
1: Tony's right. I thought I knew how recycling worked. But until you start reading Recycling Today and Waste 360 with Your Morning Coffee, you've only just scratched the surface.
3: They have this picture in their head of, you know, uh, the little triangle on the bottom of a beverage container or food container and say, oh, look at that. I'm buying something that's reusable or recyclable, and and that's the romantic part of it.
1: One majorly unromantic part of it? All of that stuff that we're wishfully recycling is messing with the industry. Contamination has always been a problem, but lately it's throwing a wrench in the entire operation like with plastic bags.
3: That's what started all this to begin with, the the contamination rate, these these, um, mostly grocery bags and
1: stuff. That's right. Anybody who has ever tried to recycle a plastic grocery bag, we're talking to you. You're recycling public enemy number one. We don't actually process all of our recycling on U.S. soil. We send about a third of it overseas to countries who are willing to pay for the stuff. One big-time buyer of our recycling, of recycling from countries all around the world, is China. China dominates world manufacturing. That takes a lot of plastic, paper, cardboard, rubber, and metal. And for a long time, it was cheaper for the country to repurpose used materials than to create brand new stuff. But at the same time... Pollution is a huge problem in China. They have got enough waste issues of their own without adding all of the unusable and sometimes hazardous material that came along with our recyclables. So they started to do something about it. In 2011, they launched Green Fence, a program that aimed to carefully inspect all imported trash. In 2016, they tightened import restrictions. In 2017, a ban on certain imports. And finally, in 2018, they announced a new program with a new name, National Sword, which tells you exactly how seriously China is taking their waste problem. It calls to mind some colossus straddling a harbor with some kind of trash-specific thou-shall-not-pass thing going on. program bans all sorts of plastic and lowers acceptable contamination to practically nothing. It means that the country is going to prioritize recycling its own waste over that from other countries.
0: So just recently, China has um, put into effect a new threshold on the level of contamination that they're willing to accept on their imports.
1: This is Lisa Wolf. She's also with EcoMaine, where we started this episode. Ecomain, like so many companies, has a single stream MRF. And theirs is pretty good. It gets a lot of contamination out.
0: The typical standard has been more like 3 to 5% contamination. So this is really creating a bit of a crisis for the recycling industry as a whole because we're all set up to manage to that demand for 3 to 5% contamination. And now China is saying we will only accept half a percent. So that's, that's really where we're at right now.
1: In other words, China doesn't want to be our trash can anymore. And at EcoMaine and everywhere in the United States, that means our trash is piling up. One of the things
0: you'll notice when you go up there is there's quite a bit of paper on hand.
1: Lisa told me that EcoMaine has been finding buyers elsewhere. Thailand, Vietnam, India. It's slow going, but they haven't had to landfill anything yet. The unique thing about EcoMaine, though, is that they're a nonprofit. Their focus is keeping stuff out of the landfill even when it costs them money. But for most of the world, recycling is big business. And that business isn't looking so hot right now. You'll
0: see that the 2016 fiscal year price was $101 per ton. In 2017, that went down to $51 per ton. Now we're looking at zero, sometimes having to pay $11 a ton to, to get rid of the paper.
1: Remember, recyclable materials are a commodity. But what happens when you take millions of tons of product out of one big market, China, and pour it into smaller markets like Vietnam and Thailand? The market floods. Value takes a nosedive. Combine that with factors like low oil prices that make recycled plastic less desirable, and you've got yourself a bit of an economic dilemma. So what do you do when saving the planet stops making fiscal sense? That's on Outside In after the break. Up here in the Northeast, when you start sniffing around the recycling industry, everybody tells you to talk to this guy.
2: Uh, my name is Mike Durform. I'm the executive director for the Northeast Resource Recovery Association.
1: The N-R-R-A, two R's there, was formed back in 1981 in New Hampshire with the idea of helping municipalities get their recyclables to market. Mike's been here since 2008.
2: And the message on my phone says, now's a great time to be in recycling. and Everybody thinks I'm totally crazy.
1: Mike admits he has a hard time defending this position. The restrictions in China mean that processing has slowed down big time. The same amount of waste is coming in, but it takes much more effort to get the product in better shape. Not to mention the fact that you need humans to do a lot of that sorting. And that's all on top of the value issue.
2: And the price went from 35 a ton to 70 a ton for a week, and then it went to 90 a ton the next week. And folks that are trying to budget for that are really caught because they can't. They, you can't foresee that kind of cataclysmic impact on the recycling market.
1: Remember, your town used to save money by recycling. That's because waste haulers used to be willing to pick up our newspapers and milk jugs for free because they could turn around and sell them for a profit. But with the market for recyclables now upside down, haulers are charging to pick up recycling, and towns are looking at costs they never expected. And suddenly, doing the environmentally friendly thing isn't going to make the taxpayers happy anymore.
2: We had a discussion yesterday with the municipality, and they're paying a uh, about $105 a ton for single-stream recycling. And at the same time, they have a contract for their municipal solid waste, their trash, for $68 a ton. So if it's going to cost you 105 over here and only 68 over there, you're probably going over there, especially if you have a tight budget.
1: And this isn't just pure conjecture. There are warning signs that this could soon be happening in the U.S. Just because we're ethically committed to recycling doesn't mean we can be practically committed to it.
2: What's happened in a number of states in the United States is that they have bans on throwing recyclables of any kind into landfills. And what we're seeing is in those states, they're currently issuing waivers in some cases to the haulers saying, it's okay to throw it away now because uh, we know you don't have a market to take it to. We don't want it on the side of the road. We're hoping the markets will come back, and when they do, then the waivers will be rescinded and go back to business as usual.
1: When we went to single stream, we were trying to make it easy to do the right thing. But now the contamination problem is threatening to torpedo the markets that make recycling work. Some recycling programs have already started asking residents to leave certain things out of the bin. Marion County in Oregon has banned shredded paper, egg cartons, milk boxes, and most plastic from the single stream bins. Madison, Wisconsin has banned plastics like five-gallon buckets and children's toys. In the Australian state of Victoria, a waste hauler suspended collection entirely. Ireland, which was used to exporting 95% of its recycling to China, warns that it's on the brink of a waste management crisis. Remember, Mike Durfor truly believes that now is a great time to get into the recycling business, and we're going to come back to that. But first, I've got to tell you, at this point in my reporting, my recycling romanticism had been totally dashed. I had no idea that my ability to recycle something hung in the balance of an import-export relationship. I mean, isn't that little recycling symbol supposed to mean something? I'd spent my whole life thinking of recyclables as a kind of environmental currency with a certain guaranteed value. That value being that my stuff didn't end up in a landfill. It never occurred to me that that stuff has literal monetary value in a complicated market. And the way that I had gone about recycling, the whole single stream, occasional, wishful recycling thing, it wasn't helping things. It might even be making it worse. To be clear, single stream does increase recycling rates, but it's problematic for other reasons. I talked to one recycler, Richard Boll, who told me that single stream has never served the market. Richard's been in the business for 28 years, running an old school facility where everything has to be separated.
2: Uh, So, over the years, I have learned this what I call a truism, that to get the best prices in the market, and sometimes any prices at all, you have to have everything almost perfectly sorted.
1: Richard pointed out that China has been pushing for cleaner recycling for a while now. National Sword is just the latest in their insistence on a better product. And either way, he says, this is a commodities market. Recyclables will ultimately always have to be sorted really well to eventually be worth something.
2: With the low oil prices, low plastic prices uh, mean that the only way you could possibly sell the recycled plastics is by having them almost perfectly sorted. Now going to single stream where you throw everything together and then usually pick it up in a trash truck and compress it and break some of the glass and treat it like that is not a way, in my view, to treat
1: recyclables. Richard wrote an op-ed for an industry magazine saying that he was aghast when Single Stream was introduced. It's treating recyclables like garbage, he says. And that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So to Richard, it'd probably be no surprise that some of our recycling isn't just being handled like garbage. It's becoming garbage. And as far as landfilling goes, we've got the space for it. Arkansas, for example, has said that it can go about 600 years before its dumps run out of space and they need to build another one.
2: It's not the... uh world as, as we might have known it a while ago.
1: This is Mike Durfour again. He's the guy who thinks that now is a great time to get into the recycling business because there is a silver lining to all of this, as it turns out. It's a chance to build a different, stronger system that can withstand shifts. And while it might sound counterintuitive, the solution to this whole mess might be to double down on the logic of single stream and to get rid of separate bins altogether.
2: There are a number of initiatives around the country that are looking at things like um, one bin, where all your trash and your recycles would go in together. And they're specifically designed to deal with that type of contamination, whereas the facilities that are just designed for recycling only aren't, and that's where it's causing them a problem.
1: Mike says this one-bin system would require better, more magical, more Willy Wonka-esque MRFs that were specifically designed to really, truly get the contamination out. The process is praised for being easier for consumers and increasing recycling rates and diverting nearly all trash from the landfill.
2: Single stream plants are trying to remake an omelet, if you will, and after the egg's been cracked, they tout their process as saying there's no such thing as waste there's only materials that can be reused and that's how they design their facility and like I say they they put a lot of investment into the
1: equipment to get that separated out mike told me the one bin system is working in some countries in europe but in the us it's still pretty new and that's intimidating it takes buy-in from politicians and from the community A one bin Murph in Montgomery, Alabama went bankrupt a few years ago, and an attempt to institute the system in Houston, Texas, died after years of research and negotiating. So in a way, this is an opportunity for someone to step in and build a better recycling system, one that can crank out a genuinely clean product at a reasonable price. Or it's an opportunity for landfills. After all, we didn't start them. but... They're always there if we need them. Inside in was produced this week by me hannah mccarthy with help from sam evans brown justine paradise taylor quimby and jimmy gutierrez erica janik is our executive producer special thanks to jess nolan and jared Starr for walking me through the weird reasons why we do or do not recycle music in this episode by blue dot sessions our theme music is by Breakmaster cylinder outside in is a production of new hampshire public radio